world. My name is Klaus Wastel, and I'm the director of the College of Extraordinary Experiences. You're listening to the business of extraordinary experiences. My guest today is Josephine Vestberg, and she spent six years doing educational role-playing games for children. She has lifelong experience with interactive storytelling through various mediums. And today she's the CEO of something called Le Creative, or Le Creative, or Le Creative, depending on what language you're using, which uses role-playing and gamification to help companies with high-level challenges, especially those to do with leadership and creativity. To say that she's a leader in her field would be an understatement, but since she's Swedish, she'll probably try to play that off in a humble way. Josephine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Let's start right at the top. What do you actually do? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, it depends on uh, what time of year and what day of the week it is. It, it varies a lot. Uh, but everything from like the standard running a business sales um, administration part to uh, another day I might be at an IT company uh, role-playing uh a party after work meetup that went wrong to talk about gender norms. And then the next week I might be out um, playing with children in the forest dressed up as a witch. So let's, before we go into the witch part, which of course will, will interest some people, tell me about an IT company, a fictional IT company, where you play out a after a work party that went wrong to talk about gender norms. I can almost hear some ears out there going, what? Yeah, well, um, we were, this is a, a true example. We were contacted by an IT company that said, well, everyone here is on board, like mentally and, and theoretically that like equality is a good thing. But when we do surveys, we see that women and people who are not from Sweden are not as happy as the others are. So something is not working in the implementation, but we are not sure what. Uh, so we want help with making everyone understand how it feels to be in that position. Oh, interesting. So, okay. So tell me more. So... Um, then uh, we worked with them for two half days and they got some homework in between to work with and talked about norms. And they also got to role play different scenarios where everyone at some point in these different scenarios got to be the person on spot, so to speak. Um, the one who had to be the one to speak up who, or who felt uncomfortable to get the feeling of how does it feel when you're in that situation and why is it not just, well, just say something, which is usually the way you go about it. So using play and simulation to get people to understand, it's actually not that easy. Um, no, it, it's no. not. Um, and that's why we also work like we just, we come out, we do workshops uh, we give them the alibi to be able to do this, to play and to experience this. And we give them pre-scripted uh, characters to make it easier where they have goals. And for each little scene they play, they know that this is what I want to do. And then they get to talk about what happened in the scene. And then we all wrap it up together and contextualize it and what that means. And 
I've also done a little bit of like learning games and that sort of uh, that sort of thing. So, so I can speak with you on this with a little bit of authority, but our listeners, most of them, won't be able to 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 give them a feel for how important is the the reflection part, the contextualization part, when you're doing these these playful simulations. Uh, well, uh, I have a bachelor in education. And for me, it's very clear that if you don't do that, it's not educational at all. Then it's it's fun, but you can't in any way make sure people learn what you want to learn or focus on the things you want to highlight. Uh, so that is key. That is everything. That's where the magic happens. Without that, it doesn't work. So 11 out of 10 is what you're saying. Yep, absolutely. That's a, a pretty good lesson right off the bat to people that if you're doing something, and I guess this goes as well for if you're teaching through art or, or experience or any sort of non-traditional, if you don't have that critical reflection and contextualization, then you may still have had fun or have had a powerful experience, but you lessen the chance of actually learning what it is you're supposed to learn. Yes, very much so. And um a lot of people think that just because I, I did this experience in, in art or whatever, I can see things and learn things and then I can apply them in, in the rest of my life. Uh, and that is what you call transfer, to transfer the knowledge. Uh, and uh, people suck at that. Like humans suck at that, really. We are so bad at that. That is one of like the hardest things when it comes to educational things overall is about like, how do we make transfer here? Um, you can see it, a standard thing. Someone who's great at math are gonna bake a cake. And then they look at the recipe and it's for 20 people and they wanna do it for 10. And all of a sudden you can see them struggling with how do I do this? And it's like, you are good at math. Just how can this be hard? But since it's in another context, we are bad at that. That's and you need to help people with that. I would never have guessed that because I would, I mean, I'm decent at math uh, and bad at cooking. So I guess I fit the target demographic very well. And I guess I would just like divide by four and hope it works. And probably somebody would say, you can't just divide by four because the flour bakes differently. And then I'd say, oh, I didn't think of that. So I'd have the opposite thing. I just automatically assume that I could use my math skills and there'd be no problem. But you're saying that this is an actual thing, that because we're in a different context, we sometimes forget the skills we're strong in, even though we should be able to apply them here. Yeah, because we don't see that. Like It becomes very clear for me when I'm out working with like teenagers. That's where it's super clear, because then we do this whole LARP thing about a subject, and you ask them, like, is this something you can use? And they're like, no. And I'm like, wait a minute, you did this and this and this. Don't you do that in the classroom? And they're like, but we're not in a classroom. I'm like, no. And how is this a problem? Because school happens in a classroom. And if you're not there, then they don't see that they can apply it there. And this is like humans. We work like this. We are bad at this. So, so it's not that someone is stupid. We need help with that. And that's why we need to contextualize it. It's the class classic. Why should I learn math in school? I've never used it. Yeah. You probably have. You probably. Oh, I love that. To me, my, my favorite pet peeve is people who say, oh, but I can't write. Oh, so you went through 10, 12, 15 years of schooling without writing a single text. 
no, I'm just bad at, oh, so you're like, you can't form words? Like, oh, what you're saying is you're not as good as a professional writer. Oh, maybe that's setting the standard a bit high here. No, so I, I hear you loud and clear on that. We could spend uh, all of the time talking just about that. But yep. give me three insights that your career in this space has given you that you think the world would be better if everybody knew this. Three things that you learned, not only you from all the things you've done, but from this specific like career choice that you think, okay, everybody in my career knows this, but why doesn't the rest of the world understand? Um, one thing is um, probably for a lot of people who run their own business, but I still think it's very relevant. And that is like, do the things you're good at and pay someone else to do things you're not good at instead of saying, well, I got the hours and it's free if I do it. Well, if you put those hours into things you're good at, it would be so much better. Don't spend hours and hours trying to learn things that you don't want to do anyway. That's that's my number one thing. And here I want to give a very like something very specific. Uh, a thing that has helped me that started out as a small business on my own was actually uh, to have a collective agreement with the union. And that sounds weird for a lot of people. It sounds unusual, at least. Yeah, and especially if you're not maybe from the Nordic countries, it sounds even more weird. Uh, but actually, as an employer, I have a number of times called the union and said, hey, I'm going to hire people. Uh, what are the rules? How do I make this? And they're like, oh, well, it works like this. And I was like, is it that simple? Why has no one told me this? Like, they're a great source to actually help you as an like so many things that would take me hours to find out i could just ask them and they would tell me which is awesome and that's not what people think about when they think about unions when you are running a business they think they're like the other part but that has been great help for us it reminds me of a terrible story that i'll share in a moment but first tell me tip number three because that's the important part um well, I actually, I have, because that was tip number one. It was just a specific version. I have ah, two more. So we have two more. That's even better. Yes. Uh, and they, it's going to sound weird because it sounds like they're going against each other, but they're not in my world. Uh, and one thing is fake it till you make it. Because I role play. That's what I do. I pretend to be someone else. I pretend to do things. And this has helped me so much just to, go into that, pretend to be someone. And then you start to like talk to people who are like really good at their shit and been going forever. And you realize, oh, okay. Everyone is just faking it till they make, like this is, wow. Just pretend you know it. And that's what, cause that's what everyone else does. Like it's a big illusion. It's a big lie. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So Preach. Yep. That's one part. And then the other part that, like my last advice that's going to sound like it goes totally against this is know your shit. Because um, you're going to fake it and pretend that you're the best because you probably won't feel like the best because you never do. But make sure you actually have some kind of grounding in what you're talking about. Because I've met so many people that started talking about this is the way it works. Uh, I'm supposed to help you with this. And I'm like, this sounds great. And then they start to talk about my subject about education and they're like and this works like this and it's great and i'm like 
no, no, it doesn't. That's just wrong. And then I can't trust you in anything you say. So know what you're good at and don't like talk about things you don't know. It's okay to say that is not my area of expertise. Oh, I hear you. I don't, I don't think they're contradictory. I, uh, I can align with that. Speaking of areas of expertise, right now, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where we've had as many experts in epidemics and in crisis response and in how to fix the world's problems, especially on social media, because we're taping this while Corona is not just a beer, but a virus. Or how to have digital meetings. Oh, yes. Everybody's also an expert on that. What challenges, because you're used to doing a lot of live work. I mean, you're out there, you're in the field, you're doing live events with people, whether they're kids or adults, whether they're pirates or rock stars. What do you do right now, except, of course, uh, do the books and and, uh, improve the websites and all the sort of do the things we want to do, but don't do because we're busy in the field. What are, you, what are you doing with your days and your customers right now? Well, we have a special situation since I'm based in Sweden. Which is a special situation, yes. Yes, because um, one part of my business is working with children's and schools. And in Sweden, we haven't closed the schools. Which is so a pretty important point. That part is up and running. Um, there's no real difference there. Um, and for the other part, we are doing, trying to do more uh, online we can do a lot of, like, you can't do the full role-playing experience in the same way online, obviously, but we also have uh, workshops and lectures and talking about uh, digital meetings. My <laughs> colleague has been working um, at another company before, and they had people all over Sweden and had digital meetings every day. And he's been doing this for 10 years. And he was like, I'm not so good at it. Again, again, one of these, what's wrong with you? I mean, yeah. other people are at the, I don't even know what Zoom is. And here's a guy with 10 years of experience saying, I'm not so good at it. Yeah. And then he started to see all the, the watch our one hour for free lesson in how to do this. And he's like, what? But this is shit. Sorry. But a lot of this is, is bad, actually. Um, and then he heard someone who actually went into a podcast and said, I've never done anything online, uh, but I thought this is something people should learn. So now I'm taking 90 uh, euros uh, an hour from people to teach them in groups how to do this. And you're like, but, but you don't know how to do this. And you make people pay you loads, like talk about faking it till you make it, but, oh, yes. but not knowing your shit. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so um, we realized that... Apparently, this is a field where we have some expertise, which we didn't think we had because we haven't seen it like that. So now we're also looking into um, and, and do educations um, in that. Helping people having have, that's going to have online lectures and what to think about and everything, but not as much focus on the technical parts, but more on the. How do you um, make people interested? How do you make them listen? What do you think about? And so on. Not as much the press this button. Ironically, I've ended up in some of the same and have uh, already published an ebook on it and I'm helping uh, 
German university with developing some online stuff. So I, uh, I, I hear where you're coming from, that you start out by saying, we don't know that much. And then you realize, oh, maybe there's a little bit of expertise there. Even though I don't have the 10 years, I have uh, some experience with this. So I, I can recognize that very much from my own work. There's a long and dramatic pause here because one of the things that we haven't exactly gone down similar paths or not the same path, but there's been some similarity in, in some of our professional lives. And one of the things that I feel that you guys have always been incredibly good at has not you Swedes, but you with your previous company, and I assume it's the same with the current one, have been very good at making people understand why what you did was valuable because we've spent, I spent so many years talking to people who said, Oh, that's great. That's cute. That's nice. You can do something for my orc son. And when you try to say yes, or for your leadership team, they're like, Oh, that's great. I think he's, I think he's a black orc. Maybe you have a sword for him. And you, you've been so much better at making people understand what it is you do and why it's valuable. Have you just always been good at that? Or is that something that you've learned through hobbies or education? Or where does that, where does that skill set come from of being a strong communicator in the unusual? I would say we struggle with exactly the same thing. Uh, ah, so that's so it's just all all <laughs> no no like no. we we make it work and but i it's so clear that it's harder and that's also uh, makes me think about how i communicate what i do um for example i don't use the word larp uh when i talk to businesses and companies because that is not going to work when we have a gig and we have finished it then I tell them, so now you have LARPed. Now you tried LARPing. Because I want to like, make sure that people understand that LARPing is so much wider than people think. Uh, but I don't use it in the sales pitch. Yeah. That, that makes it. And for those of our audience members who don't know what LARPing is, it's an acronym for live action role play. And as something that both Josephine and I have worked with for quite a number of years. I no longer do so directly. But also, of course, use techniques and experiences from there. And uh, yeah, we were stupid enough or smart enough to put it in the name of the company. And that both gave some advantages, but also uh, gave some disadvantages. Um, and I also try to, like, what has actually helped us is the whole IT idea that people talk about having fun at work is important and you hear about Google having rooms where you can go both play video games and you can play um, standard games and you could just like do fun things and that is important and that is a narrative we can also use. We can say this is important because you use some of these tools as you see the really big international giants do it. So apparently it's not shit, um, even if they don't do it in exactly the same way. That has actually helped. Um, oh, no, I, I hear that. And it, it's always easier, ironically enough, that to some of the events that both that we've done and have been to, that we've had Disney people visiting that for study purposes. And then when Disney does it, then you can reference them and say, oh, it's kind of like their new Star Wars park. Like, oh, you mean like Disney? You guys are as cool as Disney? It's like, yes, they came to us for inspiration. 
Yeah. Okay. The, I, I've so, used so, yeah. exactly the same thing. Yeah, we've been in meetings with Disney uh, talking about how you can implement this. Like, that's great um, <laughs> to use. Uh, but what I also do is since I have my background in education, I try to highlight things from that and show, like, what can you learn and how and why is it good? Because, I mean like using role-playing to learn is nothing new like this has no. been done forever uh so the fact that it's working most people get that you're like well the military does simulations which is role-playing but you are yourself and not a character uh, and sometimes that's what you want and sometimes you want to have a character to get an alibi mm -hmm. and so you also can have the bad shit yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you could really uh highlight that that I would say help a lot also uh, to be able to tie it into existing knowledge and be clear about what is it good for and what is it not. And I also think a lot of people have bad experiences from role play uh, because um, like I was studying uh, one class at the university and they said, you are going to present this as a role play. And I'm like, score my area. I got this. And I realize what they mean is rehearse a scene and play it up in front of everyone else who is watching you and kind of judging you. I'm like, this that's is not, not no, a role play. No, no that sounds different. Oh, like this has nothing to, like this is some kind of weird theater thing. And it's been used in so many ways. And to use role play, you have to make people feel safe. And I would say a very common way when people use role playing also for businesses is that they say, we're going to learn you this, talk about this. Okay. You're, you're the customer and you're the owner and you're going to play this. Go. And like, I've been LARPing for 20 years now and I would be so uncomfortable doing that. And here are people who don't even like, like the idea of it. They're not going to be comfortable. So you need to highlight that you actually have to work around, work with it and, and workshop to make it a different experience. And that is something I usually highlight because most people can relate to that very uncomfortable situation because they have been in that. And to be very, very clear that that is because it's badly done. You can actually design around that. Yeah, and I guess that it's, it's one of the things that we all have as humans, this idea that if we, if we don't have nuance, if we're not close to something, we don't have nuance. So it's like, oh, Japan is like this. Like, how, when, when were you in Japan? I spent two days there, so now I'm an expert on the whole country. This is, this is what Germans are like, because I've been in those conversations as well. People saying, oh, but I, had, I now know this format. And yet nobody says, books, I don't like them. I read one, didn't like it, so now I know everything about books. Or movies don't work for me. It's like, what? Maybe it's different movies? But no, no, I, I, I hear you on that. When are things frustrating? When most of the time you're you're leading a pretty successful professional life, doing interesting things, and getting up in the morning saying I'm doing something meaningful and I'm in sort of control and I'm paying my rent, which is I mean those are three good things. When does it just suck? Um. Well, when you've been to a number like I hate what I hate most about it is when you've been to. A number of meetings with someone that feels really into what you're doing and they're all on board and you realize this is not the person who sits on the money and takes the decision. 
And that's why we also, before we used to like apply for grants to do sh- things, to do s- things that we realized this is probably, we're not going to make enough money uh, on this in a short while. So we're just going to apply for a grant to maybe get some funding and get it going. And the amount of time we've spent to doing those and doing it, collaborating with people. And then they're like, oh, no, I had to work late. So I didn't have time to send in the application. And you're like, what? I've put in loads of work hour. I pay people for this. And you're just, I didn't feel, what? That is really frustrating to realize you put your time in the wrong things. I, uh, I feel your pain, especially on the, oh, but I work late. So I didn't, I didn't send in the thing. It's like, oh, so our 500,000 euro application is now not happening. Who knows if it was going to be good because it's now not even happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a question I want to ask about. How to formulate it. That's why it's a little bit slow. A lot of people find that when they take their hobby and make it into a job, it's incredibly hard to keep it as a hobby as well. Yeah. How, how, what can you give of tips on this, either to do it or not do it? And a little bit of how and why that people can apply on Monday, irrespective of industry. Well, it is hard. Like I'm keeping my hobby. I'm not LARPing as much uh, because I, I, I don't really know how to turn off work brain. Like I go to a LARP and I see like these four things are broken in this LARP. This needs to be fixed. And I, I, I have a really hard time turning that off and not focusing on that and not letting it affect my experience. Um, so. I'm not sure if this is too LARP specific, but what I tried to do is, well, find LARPs that I know are organized by people I can trust, that I know like is a higher idea. And also try to like set my expectations. Sometimes I go to a LARP and, and there my expectation is, I'm going to go to this cool place. Maybe the gameplay won't be as good. It might not be a good design, but I'm, I can just have a good time enjoying this place. Uh, and bring that with me. And I also try to have backup. I try to go with friends that I know I will have a good experience with. So even if everything else sucks, we can go and have our own little thing where we have a good time at least. Um, but usually you find something else that you can also tie into it and have a good experience. But to have like something to fall back on so I know at least it, I got something fun out of it but but yes it will affect what you do but but there is also a difference because what i do in my work is not the same thing as when i do it in my free i like when i work it's not about my experience it's not about how am i having fun how am i portraying my character it's all about how do i make these participants have a good experience like all my focus is on someone else all the time and nothing on me while when i do it for free I at least have tried to have some of it on, like, what do I need to have a good experience, even if I don't do it by running over everyone else. At least I try to have myself in focus. And I guess that at least the first part of that, the second part I, I, I makes a lot of sense to me, I guess the first part of that could be translated a little bit to if you are a professional sound designer, 
then don't go to a movie alone and sit there thinking about all the things they did wrong. Bring some friends instead and say, I'm not going to worry about the music. I'm just going to enjoy the, I'm just going to enjoy the plot and say, yeah, they could have done the sound better, but that's not, yeah, that's not what I'm here for. You're not there to be a professional critic. You're there to actually have a good time. Exactly. The collected tips of Joseph Investborg in easily digestible implement on Monday format. Wow. Um, yeah. Except what we already said. Um, except exactly. That makes it even tougher. Like first, um, first you get the gold out and then you say, is there more? There always is. There always is. Um, well, <laughs> I would also say, think about sustainability. Um, because people in businesses talk a lot about sustainability, but I think a lot of the time they don't get the part that like sustainability is not just making enough money. It's also about like for me, giving people proper pay, making sure they not get sick because then the business won't work. Um, so trying to get all of it together. And here is like the bad part about this. If it doesn't work, like you realize I, I can't give the salaries I want to, or I can't give them what I should. And we've been in this discussion ourselves. What does that mean? And for me, it is if I, I need to raise my price tag so I can do this. And if it doesn't work, if I can't sell, sell it for that price tag, when is it time to back out? When does it mean that this is not actually working as a business to back out? Uh, we have that discussion like maybe once every year when we talk about like what do we need to happen or not happen before we say now it's not fun anymore, now we can't do what we want to and make people feel good so it's sustainable, so when do we back out? Because um, that's, that's a tough one, but I think it's important to have. Uh, so that's one. Um, Good one. Yeah. And like the short ones, fake it till you make it, know your shit. We already said those. Make people feel safe so they can make people feel safe so they can be brave. Dive into that a little bit because that's interesting. Um, if like it's hard to be brave if you don't feel safe, you like your strongest experiences are when you step out of your comfort zone. But if you feel very uncomfortable arriving, then just that is stepping out of your comfort zone. You're not going to push yourself anymore because you're already uncomfortable. So you want to make people feel comfortable in the situation. And then that means that they can allow themselves to step out of that and actually try things a bit more. Um, so, I, yeah. I guess in some way that's an elegant way of flipping the classic view, which is at least in some places that brave people do uncomfortable things. And what you're saying is also that if you make people comfortable, they will be brave. Yeah. Um, because I would say being brave is about doing things that makes you uncomfortable. But if, if like just showing up at the meeting makes you uncomfortable, then you're already brave. And if that's not what we want them to be brave about, we have to make sure that that is already safe so they can be brave about something else. That you, you kind of, you run out of bravery. That you, yeah. if you've spent all your points on being the only non-white person and the only person not speaking the language fully and the youngest and all, 
all these sorts of classic barriers that people face and that nobody's really necessarily thought of, then how the hell are you going to stand on your head and pretend to be an owl? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, and I also, I would like to share, like, it's not as specific, but what I think is interesting when I talk about this and I talk about, like, why would people want to role-playing? Because something I meet a lot of the time is, like you said, well, well, that's that's for children, right? Um, and then if, I'm also a game designer. Um, I've studied game design and I teach game design at Chalmers Technical University in Gothenburg. Uh, in their master program, I'm one of the teachers, and now I'm gonna. Now I'm sorry, I'm gonna get a little bit nerdy, but I think no, that's it's interesting and relevant. As long um, as it's relevant for for people in different places, it's perfect. I th I think it can be because I think this is this is about why I think play and that experience is important because most people would agree that like children learn through play, mm -hmm. like people that that is uh, obvious for they most don't people. It's a fact. Exactly. Um, and then if you look into play, uh, there's a, a French anthropologist called Roger Calois who made, um, he, he defined four types of games where one is um, Agon or Agon. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, and that is uh, about competition and competing. And that's something, it's easy relatable. Sure, we get it. Then you have Alea, which is about luck. Um, then you have uh, Mimicry, which is role-playing. And the last one is Ilinx, which is the thrill of being emo in motion. And if you look at these, all of them could be applied to like children. Uh, you make, like, it makes sense. Children do all of this. But if you look at like competition, sure, that is something children do. They play. They run, try to be the fastest one. Look at me, I'm faster. No, I'm faster. But we also have the Olympics. Like, we have sports. We do that as grown-ups, and no one thinks it's weird. It's, it's obvious uh, and it's good for you. Um, and then uh, you have the luck part, like snakes and ladders for children. Like, it's just luck. Like, you can't really. It's all about what the dice show. Well, yeah, we have casinos. I mean, we have like, and that's definitely not for children. Like that is something grown-ups do, which is all about luck. So that's not weird either. And then uh, we have Illinx, the whole thrill of being emotion. Children spinning around uh, until they get sick or they go out riding a slide and it, like tickles in their stomach and they're like, wee. Well, that doesn't do it for me. But I mean, I go on a roller coaster and it's the exact same experience I'm after, just that I'm a grown up. And that's not weird. People don't think that is weird or going really fast in a car. Most people can like get why that is thrilling or exciting, extreme sports. And then when you come to mimicry and the role playing, it's like, that's only for children. What? That doesn't make sense. We just, like, playing make-believe is what children do. Then we can have a grown-up version of that and learn things from it, uh, just as we can do with the other things. It's, like, why would that only be for children? For me, that doesn't make sense. Um, and that's usually something I highlight, uh, that, of course, 
children do this. But the way we work with it, I would never do that with children because that would not be very professional or appropriate. And they would probably also have quite a boring time and didn't not understand the subject. So, yeah, play is also for grown-ups in all different versions and types. I love that you went nerdy on that. I, I love this. I was, the moment you started with, what's his, uh, Kalua, Kalu, I can never pronounce yeah. him, but no. the moment you went there, oh, this is the good stuff. Yes, perfect. Thank you. That also is an excellent ending to this because we're now at the, the last part, which is housekeeping and the scary part and then the real end. So first the housekeeping, which is, or I'm not even sure I'm using the right term yet, but since it's a podcast, nobody's going to tell me if it's wrong. So, I mean, it's a one-way listener experience, right? Where can people find you online? I mean, they can go to Gothenburg in Sweden, and then they can find you physically. And it should be said to our listeners out there that Josefina actually lives uh, pretty close to a place called Westeros or Westeros in Sweden. Not that close. Compared to Madrid or Los Angeles. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. yes. No, no. I'm I'm not saying you have a small hut next to to the wall, but compared to a lot of other people, you are one of the people I know who lives the closest to that globally. So, Josephine in Westeros, but if they want to find you online. Uh, They either uh, will go to uh, LinkedIn and find me there. Josephine Westboard, um, and it's Josephine without an E in the end. Or you could go to the company website. Um, you have a link, so you can get it in English, but most of it is in Swedish because that's where we mainly operate, just so you know. Uh, and it's uh, lekreativ.se, but that I, in English I usually say lecreative. But the difference is there's no E in the end, just like in my name, no E. Like, keep it simple, stupid. Um, and then there's a K instead of a C in creative. Um, and we'll get actually, Anna to put it in the show notes. Yeah, and it's a play on word because uh, creative is creative in Swedish, so that's the same word. And if you take the first part and you just do lek, that is the Swedish word for play. So it's play and creative built together to one word. And it also sounds a little bit French, and that's never a bad thing in the Nordics. No. That's about online. We're now at the scary part, but sometimes also the best part, because one thing I do in every podcast episode is I let you take over for a moment. Is there something you feel I should have asked you? Is there a rant you want to make to the world? Is there a statement? Is there a poem you want to read alive? It's your show right now. Um, I would like to answer the two most common questions I get about what I do when I say I work with LARP in some kind. And the first one is, is that about running around in the forest? Um, Yes and no. Um, It can be, but it's like you said about about movies. Like that could be a blockbuster movie, but you also have Kislovsky. Uh, and you also have educational movies. There are different ones. And there are so much more to it. And so most of my time, I don't do that. And the second question I get after that is, oh, do you have sex for real? 
Like in the LARPs, is it about sex? (laughs) I haven't been. I've had the first question an insane amount of times. Uh, But the second one, I don't think I've ever been asked that in that context. I mean, that says something about whether it's you or me or society. But seriously? Yeah, I've I've gotten it a bunch of times. Even like when I speak to teachers and the first thing they'd go is like, is it going to be in the forest? And then they go, but isn't LARP for grown-ups really about sex? And I'm like, what? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) Uh, Loads of times. Um, And then I usually say, of course, there are LARPs that have adult themes, but usually you have techniques around it. You don't have sex for real. That's not like that is BDSM. That's a, a different thing. That well, it happens, happen. but it's rare. Like, like yeah. it's it's not. And then, of course, like people might have sex for real sometimes, uh, because grown-ups in any context might have sex for real sometimes. Like going to a conference, people might have sex for real. Like that happens, but that's like not part of the design. Like that's not what we're there to do. That's like what people can do in their spare time. I don't know. Uh, so no, what you're thinking about is BDSM. Um, that is something else. Um, and the occasional vampire orgy, it must be said. But again, these are rare fringe things. This is not exactly mainstream. No, and, and I wouldn't say it's usually like part of the design that now are people going to have sex for Like, no, that is... Mm-mm. It, it's really, it, yeah, for me, it's a weird question also, but I get it a lot. So I just like, now we, 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 we've handled that subject and we can move on. It's a crazy weird question. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay. But it's a good place to end. And we have now actually come to the end. And if we'd lost anyone on the way, well, that's how it is. But I'm very certain we didn't lose anyone in the last minute or so. So to all of you out there, We've just heard about Josephine's lack of role-playing sex, even though there have been many who have been curious about it, and the rest of the stuff we've talked about, which is, to be fair, the most interesting. You've been listening to the business of extraordinary experiences. You've heard Josephine Vestborg and me, your host, Charles Wasserman. Thank you for listening.